11. You really, really probably don't even need to turn to this, but Hebrews 11, it's just so well known. In verse 6, the writer said, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. One of the greatest lies that the devil sells people is that it doesn't pay to serve God. That somehow, if you do, you will be reduced, diminished, shortchanged, disappointed if you're a follower of Christ. Of course, he'll bring to your attention every Christian that has fouled up, failed, fallen, folded. He will remind you of every sacrifice you'll make, of everything that you'll give up, of every friend that perhaps will desert you, of every place you'll no longer go. He'll remind you of every struggle, every lion's den, every Goliath, every fiery furnace, every Jordan you'll cross, every Jericho you'll come up against. He will say, see, it's too tough. The road's too narrow. The hill's too steep. The price is too great. It's just too demanding. But, thank God, the Bible says, God is a rewarder. It's not just a promise, it's a statement of fact. God is truly a rewarder. It literally means God is the one who pays wages. That's what the original means. God gives wages. Now the devil gives wages. The world gives wages. Sin gives wages. But the Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is what? Death. Spiritual death. Being cut off from the life of God. It pays. But that's what it pays. The world and the flesh and the devil may say to you, well, maybe it does pay to serve the Lord in the next life. In the by and by. There, then, but not here and now. But God is a rewarder. In fact, the Apostle Paul makes it abundantly clear that God blesses those who serve him, not just there and then, but actually literally here and now, on the way to heaven, on the way to eternity. Here's the way Paul puts it, 1 Timothy 4 and 8. He says, godliness, first of all, is profitable. It couldn't be more clear than that. It's profitable. It will enhance your life. It will multiply you. It will bless you abundantly. That's what he said. It's profitable. The devil says you'll lose. God said you'll gain. 
The devil says you'll be reduced. God says you'll multiply. Who are you going to believe? We choose to believe God's word. It's profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So there you have it. End of argument. Done and dust it. If you love the Lord, if you serve God, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will be benefited, you will be at a great advantage, not only in eternity, but also in this life here and now. Now we know how matter how blessed we are and how good it's going to be for the believer in Christ. It's nothing still in comparison to what it's going to be. But it's not just in the by and by. It's actually here and now, right where you live, right in the moment. God is a rewarder. He gives and he gives and he gives again and again and again. Now Hebrews 11 and 6 said, He rewards those who diligently seek him. Ah, you see, now there's the proviso. Who diligently seek him. Not in a cursory, off-hand, lackadaisical, well, if it's handy, if it's convenient, if I feel like it, if I'm in the mood, if the notion strikes me. No, no. Those who diligently seek him, wholeheartedly, continually, consistently, in a fully determined way, if that's your heart to go after God, then you can be absolutely sure of the promise that you'll be rewarded in this life and in eternity. In Acts chapter 2, In verse 41, Then those who gladly received his word, this was Peter after he preached the day of Pentecost, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now note this, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread and in prayer. And in verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Daily, continuously, consistently, faithfully following the Lord. Would to God that we were as faithful and as consistent in our determination to follow the Lord as that. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, Seek the Lord with all your heart and all your soul. 2 Chronicles 19 and 3, we are to prepare our hearts to seek God. Psalm 63 and 1, he says, Early, early will I seek you. Not as an afterthought, not when the panic sets in, not whenever we have done everything and it hasn't worked out. But early will I seek you. 
And then Proverbs 18 and 17 is lovely. It says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. There's another promise. If you're diligent in your search after God, if you pant after him as the deer pants after the water brook, as the psalmist said, then you will be blessed. Now, of course, once you find God, then your seeking for him doesn't stop. It only begins, actually. Because he is unfathomable, ineffable, incalculable. The Bible talks about the unsearchable riches of his grace. You know, I looked up that word unsearchable. You know, it, it just means infinitely. It means that it is literally impossible to find the bottom of God's grace. It means that you cannot measure it. It means that you could not weigh it. It is so vast and so great and so manifold, as we said this morning. It's just impossible to fully take it all in. In fact, you live all of your life as a believer and you draw all of the grace you can from God. You're only scratching the surface of His grace. And so we will continually seek after the heart of God and the mind of God. Hebrews 11 and 6, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him by faith. Many try to seek God through works. But all of the works that a man will ever do in this life, great and many as they may be, none of that will ever gain him an entrance into God's presence. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You know, whenever, and we often say about coming to faith in Christ, and that's a good term, at that moment, when you finally believe, and in that moment, by faith, when you put your trust in Christ as your Savior, something supernatural takes place within your heart. Suddenly, you change. Mystically, something happens beyond your understanding. And it's faith. You have used that which God has given. Now, it's given to every believer a measure of faith, but the unbeliever, when he comes to Christ, God in his mercy, and this is why it says, for by Grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that none of us can boast. And so by God's grace, God gives us that little bit of faith, just like a little child to be able to reach out and say, Lord, I want to live for you. I want my sins forgiven. I want to come before Christ. I want to humble myself, admit I'm a lost sinner. I need a Savior. And when you do that by faith, then your life is radically and forever changed. And this is what the writer's talking about. That without that faith, it is impossible to please God. Everything else we do, all of our fine works and efforts, everything that will not please, that will not satisfy a righteous God. You cannot know God. You cannot experience God. You cannot feel God. You cannot have God except by faith. 
Hebrews 11, 6. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. He is what? That he is God. That he is the true God. That he is the one true living God. That there is no other God but our God. That the God of the Bible is the only God. And it's not Allah. It's the God of the Bible. And that's what we have got to believe, that he is God, the true and the living God. And once our eyes is open to that, then we're different, aren't we? This is the one that Paul talked about, where he said that in him and through him and for him and by him and to him, all things exist. You know, when you read Paul's writings, Paul, sometimes he just ran out of words to describe what he was trying to say. Sometimes he just lists the whole thing. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or even that you can think. You know, it's almost as if he's just running out of ways to describe what he's feeling. And this is one of those things here that by him and to him and for him, in him and through him, all things exist. That's the God that we diligently seek today. That is the one who is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, what are the rewards? Everybody likes to be rewarded, don't you? There's something about a reward and appreciation. The wee dog likes pet it, doesn't it? The horse likes a sugar lump, doesn't it? Hmm? There's something about a reward that's appealing to us. God has wired us in such a way that we respond to reward. Don't you know that? Don't you know that you'll work better under reward? Don't you? Don't you know that you'll do more, you'll go further, you'll work harder if you're rewarded? That's the way that God made us. And he who made us that way is the greatest rewarder. And he wants us to receive his rewards. What is his rewards tonight? Well, here's a lovely one. The peace of God in your heart. Jesus said in John 14, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the word gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. But think of that sentence. My peace I give unto you. Who could explain that? Who could plumb the depths of that? There's not one of us that has ever plumbed the depths of his peace in our lives. You know, when you look at Christ in the New Testament... He had a, a sense about him, didn't he? No matter what was going on around him, whether the storm was raging or whether people were persecuting him, whether they were denying him or whether they were blaspheming him or whether they were lying about him, all that stuff was swirling on around him. But in the midst of it all, he was imperturbable. That's a good word, isn't it? Imperturbable. He just had a peace. There was just a quality about his life. Young ones would say he's very cool, calm, collected. And he was. No sense of panic, 
No sense of, what am I going to do? Just calm. He had such a relationship with the Father. He had such an intimate prayer life with the Father that he just took everything in his stride. No matter how difficult, there was a calmness. Now, hard as it is for us to believe it, if it wasn't in the Word of God, you couldn't believe it. But he says, that peace that I've got, he says, I give that unto you. So there's something that we can claim for ourselves. There's something that you and I can say in the midst of our battles and struggles. We can say, Lord, I have your peace. I have it. You have given it to me. So I'm going to be calm. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe. And I'm just going to relax. Because your peace is in my heart. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You know, in the midst of economical turmoil around the world, political upheaval, tsunamis, earthquakes, volcanoes, the lot, in the midst of all of that, wars, rumors of wars, in the midst of all of that, Jesus said, here's what he said, see that you be not troubled. All these things must come to pass, but don't you be troubled. Boy, that's wonderful, isn't it? I watch the news on TV. When I watch the news, Sally goes into the other room. Because I think she thinks I'm going to take my shoe and throw it at that television. Sometimes I feel like shouting at them. Not that they would hear me or it would do you any good. They wouldn't listen anyway. And when you see the mess the world's in and you see the stuff that's going on and you see the trouble that's, that, that we're facing, our country is in the deepest debt hole it's ever been in in its history. Every man, woman, boy and girl in Great Britain owes over 23,000 pounds. How in the world are you ever going to pay that? We'll be paying it for the next generation. New government has been formed. It doesn't matter what they've told us before. It doesn't matter how nice they've tried to sugarcoat the pill. We know that we're going to have to pay. We know that VAT probably is going to go up. Taxes, go, everything's going to go up. Everything is going to go through the roof. We know all of that. But in spite of all of that, you think God doesn't know about that? He says, see that you be not troubled. Iran is building a nuclear bomb. Israel is warning America, if you don't deal with this, we'll deal with it, and they will. They believe in first strike. They're not going to be nuked by Iran. They'll nuke them first. You can be sure of that. They'll do it. Thank God doesn't know about that. See that you be not troubled. This old volcano, it could still spout for another year. Who knows? What are we going to do? See that you be not troubled. Say, David, the old job is a bit shaky at the minute. Yes. Business is rough at the minute. Yes. Thank God doesn't know. See that you be not troubled.
See, when he says, my peace I give unto you, that's what he's trying to get through to us. Then what about the rest of God in your soul? Because that's the upshot of the peace of God. The rest. Come unto me, all you who labor under heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. His yoke. His yoke that is easy. His yoke that is light. Take my yoke upon you. That's what we got to do. He said, you'll find rest unto your souls. The devil, this world, and our flesh wants to put a yoke upon us. Wants to weigh us down with trouble and care and worry and fret and fear and all of that stuff. I live in the exact same world as you do. I never know what the next telephone call is going to be. My whole week can change with one telephone call. Just like that. All my plans for that week can go out the window. Just like that. But Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. You'll be able to carry it. It's tailor-made for you. It's to fit your shoulders, not anybody else's. First Peter 5 and 7, Peter puts it this way. He says, cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Just the way they would laden a donkey with the goods. They would cast it upon the burden bearer. And Christ is your burden bearer. Here's what he wants you to do. He wants you to roll over your cares upon him. He's the burden bearer. Hey, listen, we're not in this alone. We're not in this alone. He's with us. See, this was the problem David was facing Goliath. This is a problem of the Israelites. Goliath kept saying, send out a man. Just one man. Just him and me. And that's why the devil wants to make it in your life. Just you and him. You're in this alone. You've got to face me alone. And none of them would do it because he was nine feet tall. Would you have faced him? And he knew that until David came. And David says, wait a minute. He's not of the covenant. I'm of the covenant. He's not of God. I'm of God. I'm not going into this alone. God's with me. He was with me when the lion and the bear, I killed them. God was with me. He's with me now. He had rest in his soul. That whole burden, he just cast it on the Lord. And then he went forward and slew Goliath, didn't he? But you see, the devil wants to make it a personal thing just between you and him. It's not between you and him. The battle's the Lord's. You know, the third thing is the presence of God in our lives. Clifford was talking about this during the worship time, the presence of God in our lives. There's nothing beats the presence of God in our lives. I'm not talking getting the fuzzies or getting a tingle in your spine. I'm talking about knowing, sensing that God 
is with me. That when I wake up in the morning and I go to my job or I go to my school or I go to my uni or I go to my wherever, that his presence is with me. That he will never leave me, never forsake me. And no matter what I face tomorrow, his presence is with me. That is priceless. That's one of the rewards of God. That's what he wants to reward you with, his presence. Wasn't it Moses said, I don't want to go unless your presence comes with me. I won't do anything unless his presence is with me. Another reward is the soundness of God in our minds. 2 Timothy 1 and 7. God has not given us the spirit of timidity, fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. A mind that is disciplined. A mind that thinks right. We mentioned this a little bit this morning, didn't we? A mind that thinks right. <laughs> Got to think right. So much of our problems in our thinking, isn't it? Somebody called it stinking thinking. And sometimes it is, isn't it? Sometimes your mind will drive you nuts if you let it, won't it? But you've got to bring every thought under subjection into the captivity of Christ. When those thoughts want to race, you've got to grab them and bring them into captivity. Because if you let them just go all out of control, and there's a great promise, there's a great reward that we'll have a sound mind, a discipline, a right thinking mind. The victory of God over our enemies. There's a great reward for us. Let me just read this to you. You know it anyway. Isaiah 54, verse 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me says the Lord. Is somebody somewhere bad-mouthing you? Is somebody picking on you? Is somebody lying about you? Is somebody blackening your name? Well, I'm no different than you. When I hear that, the hackles rise. Do the hackles ever rise in the back of your neck? You thought, if I could get them, and just wring their neck. I'd give them a good slapping if I could get them. But that wouldn't do you any good. Probably wouldn't change them anyway. But if you can just stand in your righteousness that Christ has given you, and in the integrity of your heart, and after a while, you know, people, after a while, they just tell that many lies that the whole thing just falls down around them because nobody believes it anyway. It just gets ridiculous. Over the years, I've had people say all kinds of things about me. Don't talk about it very much, but because it wouldn't really solve any problems. But people has said all sorts of manner of things. Some to my face. Some of the letters have been written. You know, for a while I used to keep those letters. And we finally kept them in it. You wouldn't believe the letters I got in 30 years of ministry. And then one day I decided, what am I keeping that nonsense for? And I dumped the whole lot of them, threw them all out. That doesn't mean somebody can't criticize me. If somebody's got a legitimate criticism, I'll take that on board and I'll say if I'm wrong, I'm sorry and all that there. But you know when it's just getting at you, just 
vintner's spleen. You know what I do now? I read it and say, God bless them, put it in the basket. That's it. <laughs> honestly. Honestly. Second Corinthians 2.14 He always causes us to triumph. Amen. I love this verse in 1 John chapter 5. One of John's little epistles. First John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now you can't be beaten with that scripture. Sure you can't. I mean, there's just no way. Do you believe in the Son of God? Well, thank you, Norma. You know, I, know, I know there's at least one believer in here tonight. Well, that means your faith in the Son of God has given you the victory over the world. The Word cannot overcome you. If you truly believe that, it cannot overcome you. The light in you is stronger than the darkness that comes against you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. This is the heritage of those who are in Christ. And then just in the chapter before that, 1 John 4 and 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. <laughs> I hope you have that underlined in your Bible. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. What a great reward. Then the blessing of God on our families. Thank God for families. Now I know that families being families, sometimes stuff happens. And sometimes there's a bit of argy-bargy. And sometimes there's fallouts. But you know what? As for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. And I'm going to believe, and have believed, and will always believe for the blessing of God in my family. For my children, for my grandchildren, I'm just going to believe for the blessing of God. I believe that's a reward. I really do. I'm serving the Lord with as much as I've got in me. And I may be naive, I don't know, but I'm just believing that God is just going to somehow or other reward that. And one of the best ways to reward that is to reward and bless my family. Because when they're blessed, I'm blessed. And you're the same, aren't you? When your family's blessed, you're blessed. Don't you love to just see them getting on and being blessed and being encouraged and being strengthened? Sure, it's great, isn't it? That's a reward. Look for it. Ask for it, pray for it, believe for it. And then we're almost finished. The provision of God in our material needs. My God shall supply all your need 
according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, lest we over-spiritualize that, we can under-spiritualize it. But lest we over-spiritualize that and think that's just talking about spiritual blessings, it isn't. It isn't, it isn't. So lest we over-spiritualize that, Jesus encourages us, does he not, in Matthew chapter 6. Remember what he says here in Matthew chapter 6? Because this is where the rubber hits the road, is it not? Verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. I think he's talking about needs here, isn't he? And I think he's talking about necessary things as well. This is where we live, isn't it? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I've been feeding the birds a lot this weather. I'm doing God's work. <laughs> Sally's not here tonight. She's looking after the kids. If she was here tonight, in fact, I'll give her this CD and let her hear that, because she's not best pleased with me feeding the birds and waking her up in the morning. But I'm doing God's work. There's a scripture for it. In fact, I must show her that tonight. <laughs> Just say, David, you're over-spiritualizing. <laughs> Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor got into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Ah, listen, a little rebuke here. O ye of little faith. <coughs> Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Huh? For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And in case you missed the message, therefore... Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's not a good thing. <sighs> We're almost finished. Psalm 58 and 11, don't turn to it, listen to it. Psalm 58 and 11. Surely there is a reward for the righteous. God's rewards are both temporal and and eternal, material and spiritual, earthly and heavenly, present and future, now and in the world to come. One more scripture and then we're finished. You've been very patient. I know it's warm tonight. You've been listening carefully. Luke chapter 18 and then we are through. 
Luke chapter 18. And then I shall finish reading just a little thing I found just today in a book. Luke 18. 18. Verse 18. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. He said, All these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? But he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter, always Peter, always button in, isn't he? I mean, he's always just jumping in with a question. Then Peter said, see, we have left all and followed you. So he said to them, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more, note this, in this present time, and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus said it. Paul said it. We can be blessed now, and we will be blessed then. We can be blessed here, and we will be blessed there. We're blessed in this life, and we'll be blessed in the next life. Don't tell me it doesn't pay to serve the Lord. You've come too late if you're going to tell me that, because I have proven that it pays to serve the Lord. Let me just read this to you, and then we'll close. Some of you young ones wouldn't know who I'm talking about. I'm going to tell you anyway. Matthew Henry for 200 years, his book, his commentary on the whole Bible is a classic. It's about three inches, four inches thick, massive volume. Preachers for 200 years, the world over, have used it in their sermons. It is brilliant, classic. Now here's what he said. This is what he wrote in his journal. He's writing about the things of God. For spiritual, he's thanking God, he's thanking God for these things. For spiritual mercies, for the Lord Jesus Christ, his incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his intercession. For grace, pardon, peace, for the word, the means of grace. For prayer, for good instruction, for the good I have got at any time under the word. For my succor and help from God under temptation for brokenness of heart for an enlightening Lord Jesus I bless thee for thy word for good parents 
for good education, that I was taken into covenant betimes at baptism. And Lord, I give thee thanks that I am thine and will be thine. Do you know when he wrote that? Do you know what age he was when he wrote that? Now listen, young people. 13 years old. 13. And at 13, he had a grip on God that most Christians will through all of their adult life and will never know that when he was 13. Did God ever reward that 13-year-old? <laughs> Did he ever? After 200 years, his writings are still blessing the church of Christ around the world. I have preached thousands of sermons in 30 years in this church, and you'll never know the many times I've quoted or I've said, Matthew Henry said. That's a big reward, isn't it? Do you think my sermons will be around 200 years? I don't think so. They made me around 20 years. 200 years, what a reward. What a blessing when he was 13 years old. So listen, young people. If somebody says it doesn't pay to serve God, don't listen to the nonsense. Don't listen to the ones who's filed up and failed and fallen and all that. Don't listen to that. Say it pays to serve the Lord. It pays to be a follower of Christ. And you follow him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And one day you'll stand up and give a testimony and you'll say, I'm glad I have served the Lord all these years. He's blessed my life abundantly. Amen. Come on, let's pray.